Warners, welcome to another episode of The Women Your Mother Warns You About. I'm Gina Tremarco. What am I? I'm a master sales trainer and coach at Sales Gravy. Sales Gravy, the sponsor of this show. I am so excited today because I have one of my favorite, favorite, all-time favorite guests um, today, Jeff Bajoric. Welcome back. (laughs) It's good to be here. It's right? it's about time we like press record. We've only been talking for half an hour. I know. We should probably, you know. I know. There was really <laughs> some really great stuff coming out. We're like, why are we not recording this? Like, well, it's- because I mean, oh, some of that stuff. I mean, listen, it, it's good for us to record it, but some of that stuff's not fit for consumption of people, you know, uh, out, outside. Yeah, I I wonder. You've always been very good about this. You're very real. You're raw. You're honest. You are Gina. Everywhere you go, there you are. And that's the, <laughs> one of the best things about you. <laughs> but where do you draw the line between authenticity and oversharing? Mm. And I heard um, Seth Godin talk about this on a podcast recently. He said, authenticity is a garbage concept. He's like, there's only so much you can share. You can't share it all. Think about the biographies that are written about people who have done great things. They're still only 600 pages long. You can't condense 70 years of greatness into 600 pages without leaving some of the stuff out. So what are you going to show? Sure, you're going to show some of the bad things. You're going to show a lot of good things because you want to shine light on that. But like- is it a hundred percent authentic? No, it can't be. So where do you draw that line between authenticity and oversharing? Mm, me personally, that's a really good question. Um, I think this is, there's been some light shed on this for me recently, maybe in the past year. So I love this question. Um, I think it's my, my podcast, by the way, now I ask the questions. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, this is how we work. You know me, I will improvise and go along for the ride. Um, And I'm all about authentic. I think the word is overused. I sort of hate Mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. Um, Some people feel like I overshare um, and I don't really care. So there's that. What what has really become obvious to me in the past years, there there have been a couple opportunities where locally, these local opportunities where um, people have known me in my community for a really long time. And they're like, hey, can you come speak to this group of admin professionals? And it's usually all women. And after 2020, you know, there was a client I have in the area that wanted me to come speak. They had to keep postponing because of COVID. And then when I finally went out to speak, this is a long story, but it, there's a point to it. Um, mm-hmm. When I went out to speak, like what they wanted me to talk about, like so much had changed and it wasn't relevant anymore. And it was really kind of struggling with like, what am I going to talk about? And it was really, I mean, it was supposed to be centered around the yes and, which is my thing with improv. And um, in the moment, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to speak from my heart today. And I'm not going to worry about this deck. And I'm not going to, I mean, they're going to take away the yes and because I want them to be able to apply it. But I got up and I said, you know, because one of the things the client said is like, they're so drained, they're so burnt out, they're so drained, they're so burnt out. This comes up so much. They just need, they need some kind of motivation, some inspiration. So I got up there and put myself in an oversharing situation Mm -hmm. that I wouldn't normally do. So while some people perceive me as oversharing, there's a lot of stuff I don't share. Mm -hmm. A couple reasons. I think nobody's going to care. And I also think that my story doesn't matter. This is this is where I was. I didn't think my story mattered. So I get up at this event in 2021 
And I speak from my heart about what happened to me in 2020. Mm-hmm. Right. My mom died. My dog died. I left my husband. I lost both businesses. I had no income. Um, right. I couldn't find a place to live. Like all these things. And I didn't think it was a big deal. I'm like, what? My story is not that bad. People lost people through COVID, blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, I'm just going to tell the story because the moral of the story is I use yes and to always lift up. And so I speak from the heart. I even say, speaking from the heart, ditch in the deck. Mm-hmm. Here I go. Yeah. I had a line of people waiting to talk to me. And right. it blew my mind. They're like women crying, like tears in their eyes. Like they, each person that talked to me related to something in the story, not the whole story, a piece of right. the story. And they wanted to come tell me. They wanted to share their story. So I think we have to tell story to get stories out of people. But mm-hmm. more importantly, we have to realize that our story has value, even though we don't think it has value. I don't know if that answers the question, but to me, that's like authentic versus oversharing kind of aha. Well, I, the the key word, or you didn't use this. I, I was thinking relevance and you said, I don't know if my story matters. And you were... It, I think there are pieces of your story that absolutely matter. There are more pieces of your story that matter to your audience than you might recognize. And that's what you learned in that situation. Mm -hmm. But um, I think relevance is key. And I don't know about you, Gina, but when I get asked by a client, hey, can you send your deck like a week before? I'm like, no. I mean, like, do you? I can, but it's probably not going to be the same deck. Because there's so much about, when we're speaking about authenticity here more than than relevance, there's so much about what I'm feeling in the moment that is going to change the delivery yes, to the point where yes. I'm trying to use fewer and fewer slides. It's like, okay, you can have the deck. if you. I don't know why you want the deck. Like, I'm going to throw some pictures up there and I'm going to start talking, right? I'll have a few bullet points that if I send them to you ahead of time, you're really not going to know where they're coming from. <laughs> These are cues for me. And you can have the deck afterward, but, and it's one of those things too, where it, normally they just want to put together a workbook for the the attendees. So they want to have some visual aids and some space to write notes. And, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. That's cool. Like blank piece of paper is really good. <laughs> like give them a pen and something to write on. I want them to take away what they need to take away. And I am very much in the moment when I, when I present, when I speak and I try to use as few slides as possible. I, I did a, a, an eight-hour workshop for a client just a couple of weeks ago. I used like five slides because what I'm here to talk about is not as important as what you as the audience need yeah. to hear and work on and work through. Like it's a workshop, not a listen shop, right? And I've told people before, I'm Ooh, like, you want the content? Like it's in the podcast and it's free. Like you could pay me a bunch of money to come in and work with your team. It would actually be better if you listen to these selected selected episodes on the podcast. So you're prepared for what we're going to talk about. And then we can get to work. Like, how about that? And I don't know if that's just counterculture to what we do or what, but I get a lot of raised eyebrows and I get a lot of, wow, that sounds like a, that sounds like a good idea, Jeff. I'm like, is not everybody doing that? I mean, Sometimes you just, sometimes you have 600 people and you just need someone to stand up on stage and blow you away. And there are people who do that. Mm-hmm. And um, what I really enjoy are these smaller groups where mm-hmm. people are sitting around tables yep. and they can look at each other while they work. Yep. And it's my job to throw little hand grenades of ideas into their brains yeah. that explode and make them think differently and 
do things differently. Yeah. And the perspective shift is is what I live for. It well, it's really comes down to flexing with where they are, right? Mm-hmm. And really understanding where they need to go and having some emotional intelligence around that versus here's the standard. I get people asking for the deck all the time. Now, working at Sales Gravy, you know, we cannot give out the decks. If I'm doing a little motivational thing, um, I did this for a, a local MPI, um, Meeting mm-hmm. Planners International, right? So that to me is like an audience I want to be in front of for lead generation. Of course. And I'm like, what do you, the, the decks, to your point, doesn't matter because it's just pictures to remind me of the story I'm telling. Yeah. There's like no content. They're just pictures to elicit thoughts. Let's think about this. Because most of the people listening right now don't do what you and I do. Mm-hmm. So how's that relevant to a, a prospect, uh, a discovery call, uh, a presentation meeting, you know, things like that? Like how many people are so glued to their deck yeah. that they can't meet their prospect where they are? Uh, how many people are just, they're so, and they're so in their deck, which means they're so in their head, yeah. right? I mean, you, you have an improv background. So much of improv is feeling where you are and what your body is telling you at that time. So you can react and think well on your feet. And yeah. that scares people. They don't, they don't like to have that kind of connection with their body. I almost said people don't like to feel themselves, but that wouldn't be <laughs> what we want to talk about. The, the, the people don't like to feel in the moment. They don't like to be mindful. They don't like to trust themselves. You know, what I say is that salespeople really just want one thing. They want to be, they want to do good work and they want to be told they're doing a good job. And then at the end of the day, they'd like to pay, you know, they'd like to get paid for that. But, you know, it's, it's like, I just want to do a good job. So how can I hedge and make sure that I'm going to do a reasonable job? And I will give up the idea of doing a superb job. And, but I will trade that for the know-how that I won't do a terrible job. And so people settle for mediocrity every single day. And they don't even realize it because they're so terrified to screw up. So they settle for mediocrity. Let me stick to the script. Here are, actually, I'm not even going to give myself pictures. I'm going to put a picture in the background of this slide. And then I'm going to put eight (laughs) bullet points in eight point font that is basically my script. So all I have to do is read. And hey, selling's about delivering the material, right? It is such a swing and miss, Gina, because selling is not about delivering the material. Selling is about connecting with your prospect. It's about meeting them where they are. It's about knowing what they're dealing with so you know which one of those bullet points is relevant. Mm-hmm. It's knowing what your deck has in it so that you can use slides 3, 7, 13, 15, and 22 instead of running through all 30 mm-hmm. and how do you help people get from rigid, I'm terrified, I just need to get through this deck one slide at a time, to take a deep breath, be in the moment? Like, I think we've identified the barrier, but how do you help people get across that barrier? I'm really curious to hear this because you deal with people who are terrified mm-hmm. and then you make them think on their feet. Mm-hmm. And you know we've talked about how much preparation actually goes yeah. into improv, but still being in the moment, like there's so many parallels here. Yeah, there's there's preparation that goes in to improv. Um, one thing I would always teach my improv performers, or just not even teach them, like one of my things is like I don't teach you how to do improv. I don't teach you how to be funny. I I guide you there because you already have it in you. You mm. just forgot how to do it, and I'm gonna like I'm gonna bring it back out of you to do it. Um, mm-hmm. when it comes to preparation, let's just say uh, preparation for an improv show, what I would preach constantly is know a little about a lot 
mm-hmm. like they had to stay on top of everything for relevance because if you get a suggestion from the audience of like we're looking for a celebrity suggestion of a celebrity and you get a celebrity let's just say Demi Lovato I I know who Demi Lovato is um because of improv um right like <laughs> but but somebody but somebody older might not and so when we have performers from age 22 to 72 which we did mm-hmm. Right. The 72 year old might not know who that is. Meanwhile, the 22 year old, actually, my husband, who's 52, like we were talking at dinner the other night with his his parents and somehow Louis Prima came up. I'm like, I love Louis Prima. They gave us this old time record player. I'm like, oh, do you have any Louis Prima albums? David's like, who's Louis Prima? I'm like, how do you not know who Louis Prima is? Well, I was raised on Louis Prima because my father was much older. Right. So the point is, is like. Know a little about a lot because it's going to help you from a relevance standpoint. But what's really become clear to me lately, and I know you remember my my original podcast um, co-host, uh, Rachel, she's yeah. she's going to be doing occasional um, co-hosting with me this year. And we are going to be doing an episode on on failure. Mm. And I said, here's the thing, because she's she was like rambling on about all this stuff. She wants to talk about failure. I think why improv performers are so good is because we are conditioned to fail. We have been conditioned to fail. And and I really gave thought to this and I've been doing this for a long time and it just hit me in the last few weeks. We are conditioned to fail. We actually like failure because on stage, people laugh at us. And so we're rewarded for failing. Mm. And so this just came to me. I'm like, this is why I take risks. I'm not worried about it because it's in my DNA that I will be rewarded. Because mm. I practice failing. You know, that's that's a, an interesting take. And I like that because you can see the victory in the failure. Mm-hmm. Um, I just talked about this on my podcast, the, uh, redefining what success and failure are and really setting a lower bar for success for yourself so that you can see more, you can succeed more often. Yep. And some people would say that's cheating. I say, no, it's perspective. Like I, I fail when I don't learn something that makes me better on the next sales call. Yep. Right. It, okay. So if I pick up the phone and I call and no one picks up and I leave a, vo- a voicemail message, that's still a win. Because mm-hmm. I had an opportunity for my prospect. I created the opportunity for my prospect to pick up the message, hear my voice. I'm probably going to make them laugh. Uh, I'm going to say something relevant, something provocative, maybe all three, but I've created the opportunity. That's all I can do. I can't control the outcome there, but I've created the opportunity. If I go into a uh, a call and I know that I just need to learn something. Well, that allows me to take a failure and turn it into a success much more easily because I'm getting stonewalled. I'm, I'm getting, you know, the, the the gatekeepers putting all the gates up, right? Keeping all the gates. Um, I can scratch and claw for something that's going to help me the next time I need to call that person. Mm-hmm. The next time I need to call someone like that person, you know? And so what that does is allows me to keep the ball in the air. It allows me to keep moving forward with positivity. It allows me to keep my own mindset ahead of myself. Because I'll tell you what, if I find five failures in a row, that sixth call is not going to go well. It's really difficult for any human being to be that resilient. But if I can justify, hey, 
that's a little tiny step forward. Hey, I didn't schedule the appointment. That would have been a nice step, but this mm-hmm. little tiptoe forward is better than moving backward or standing still. Yeah. And I say, you know, no step is too small so long as it's headed in the right direction and you keep taking steps. The only thing that is incorrect at that point is your expectations about how far and fast you should be getting there. That's the, those are the things that we control as salespeople that I don't think most people recognize because they're not celebrated. And it's really just That's a matter of perspective. Such a good point. And I, you know, when you, you talk about, you know, people being frozen and, and trapping themselves in this mediocrity, it's, you know, you don't have to know it all. You know, it's actually, you know, your discovery calls go better when you don't know it all. When you ask questions you don't know the answers to. And when you ask questions that your prospect doesn't know the answer to, instead of trying to paint them in a corner and ask them a question that you think they're going to respond to, and, oh, now I got them. Right now, I know exactly how to maneuver, which is just a euphemism for manipulate. I know how to maneuver this into a positive situation for myself. It's like, no, it know your stuff. Know enough about your stuff to converse. That's professionalism, mm-hmm. right? But ask a question that you don't really know the answer to and see where that conversation goes and give yourself permission to be in the space where you and your prospect can explore the answer together. Are you kidding me? Do you have any idea how powerful that is? That is so good. And that's so magical. I've been in those moments. They're so magical. And all of a sudden you come together with this, which is the whole yes and collaboration Mm-hmm. Yes, you're stuck. And what if we tried this? And then you're you're doing this collaborative conversation. It's a collaborative mm-hmm. conversation. Mm-hmm. And then you open up and then they open up and they're like, oh, I never thought of that. I'm like, oh, I never mm-hmm. even thought of that till we started talking. And that's the beauty because then they lean in because there's they mm-hmm. they feel a trust. They feel like you get them. They feel like you're an expert, but you're also a partner. That's beautiful. That's magic. That's the magic of vulnerability Mm -hmm. to create the space. And this is something I learned a long time ago. I probably don't talk about it enough, but you're asking your prospect, particularly when you're proactively prospecting, right? It's one thing when they come to you. It's another thing when you're proactively controlling the conversation and um, dictating the the subject that you're talking about. You really want to be provocative and get your prospect to think about something they hadn't thought about before. But in order for them to move off their position and get to the point where they want to make a change, you're asking them to admit that they're not doing something as well as they possibly could, Mm -hmm. which means they need to get vulnerable. They're not getting vulnerable unless you get vulnerable first, unless you create the space for them to feel safe being vulnerable. And Covey talked about this. This was habit Mm. number five, seek first to understand and then to be understood. A person will not allow you to have any influence over them until they believe that they have a little bit of influence over you. And I remember where I was. I was listening to that audiobook as a quick refresher before I trained on some of the stuff. And I almost, I was on a walk. So I didn't stop, but I was like, hold on. And I backed, I listened to this thing like three times, this little clip, like three times. I really had to think about that. And I was like, oh my gosh, you're right. I mean, Covey was pretty much always right, but at, at least in what he produced, but the concept of giving people the space to feel as if they could take some of it in order to get them in a position where they can feel like they can make an improvement or a change. If you're not ready to change, you're not gonna. Absolutely. If you're not given the space, yeah. if you're not given the space to give your your to let your guard down and, and break down some of your walls, it's not gonna happen. And so that requires that vulnerability. You can't be a robot and come in there and expect to sell. It's just not how it works. 
Let, let me ask you this question, because going back to um, the, the line between authentic and what was it? Authentic and oversharing. oversharing. Right. Yeah. So you have to share to show vulnerability. Mm hmm. So where do you draw the line on how to show vulnerability up front so that they will reciprocate that? What are your thoughts on that? You know, I know I do it. I don't know if I'm good at codifying how I do it. Okay. Um, Fair. I think, I think it's just, I think it's showing up and just being yourself. I think it's showing up and, you know, I almost did this and this was the difference between oversharing and not. Um, I do this routinely where I'll send a video follow-up to a discovery call. And I'll just say, hey, it was great to speak with you today. Here's what we talked about. Here's some things I'd like you to think about before we move forward. And it doesn't, it, it's a nice follow-up, but it's also a great thing so that people can share it. You know, if, if you've got a buying committee or something, they could just pass that around. And then people who weren't at the meeting get not your recollection of the meeting, but my recollection of the points I wanted to make at the meeting. And so there's mm. some leverage to that, right? Mm -hmm. But my afternoon got carried away with me or I got carried away in my afternoon rather. And so I couldn't do it right after the call. And I had to get to Orange Theory at 4.30 and then I came home. And what I almost did, but I didn't. I almost said, here's a follow-up. It's a little later than I'd like it to be. I know I was professional Jeff earlier, but now I'm post-gym Jeff. So I apologize, <laughs> you know, for, you know, my hair's a little messier. So like me and my t-shirt, like the whole thing. And I almost did that. Almost did that. But given it was someone that I didn't know well, and I was going to be, then this video was probably going to be shared with people that I'd uh -huh, never met uh -huh. before. I was like, eh, I don't know if that's the right profession. So I just went, threw my shirt back on, did my hair a little bit and, you know, <laughs> kind of did it. So, but that's one of those things where I was almost, so as, as an illustration of what I think would be effective, I, I was this close to doing that. And I think that would have made a, a very real, very authentic profession. Like, hey, I know you're busy. So am I but this is still important and I wanted to do it. And I'm willing to show you a little bit on a little bit what happens behind the scenes. You know, it's kind of the difference between my LinkedIn profile and my Instagram profile. You want to see where I'm playing golf. You want to see what I'm making for dinner. You want to see me out with my kids or out with my wife or whatever. That's not, I don't put that on LinkedIn, right. but I put that on Instagram. You want yep. to follow me? Go ahead. Yeah. I, I don't post regularly. <laughs> you know, like I'm doing this daily thing with the quotes on my calendar as kind of a writing exercise. So that's for some people. It's not for others. But like, if you want to know what it's like when I'm not at work, yeah, Instagram's there. You want to know what I'm letting you in on on my ideas for work. That's where LinkedIn is. So I, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm not really dodging your question. I just think that it's hard for me to codify it. I, I just show up as me. No, I, no, I love this. That's why I wanted to like kind of talk it out because. Uh, I was sort of asking it because I didn't have an answer for myself on it. So I want to see mm. what your answer was. Cheater. <laughs> oh, I'm a I'm great in discovery of asking a question and getting someone to talk. So there you go. You just gave me a lot of thoughts in that. And I, I think to just well, and something just popped into my head too. I think when you ask a question that someone's having a trouble, having a hard time or having trouble answering, um, after they're in a position where they give you kind of an answer they're comfortable with, you can use that momentum and share something of your own personal experience that maybe yep. takes that a level deeper. Exactly. And so much, it's, exactly. it's interesting to think about this. Exactly. Because I do it intuitively because I've been doing this a long time. I've had these conversations. I've seen where they can go. I've had the 15 minute meeting at the end of the day go into, hey, um, we should order something in for dinner because we're going to be here a while. Like it, there's an art to doing this 
and it, it's hard to just it's hard to put in words as a manual for people yeah. to do. It's something you really have to feel. And I think it comes from asking the question that you're afraid to ask, but you know, you need to know the answer to. Mm-hmm. And I think it, I think if you're present and, and mindful, you recognize what you're actually asking that person to do. And then it triggers something in the back of your head. That's like, Ooh, I need to create the space for that. And Sometimes people will go overboard and trying to create the space for that. Like that's where the art of developing this kind of comes from. It takes practice. It takes um, some work. There's some nuance to it, but it starts with being willing to not be robotic. It starts with being willing to not have all the answers. It starts with being willing to just let this, it's okay if the disc, if the, if the disco call goes off the rails a little bit, when it goes off the rails, you got to know how to bring it back. But it's like salespeople are trying so hard to tightly control every interaction so they can get a repeatable result. That repeatability is mediocrity. Mm. Mediocre might be better than what you're getting right now. I'm not disputing that. And there is a beauty to predictable results. But you will not do your best work until you allow your best work to happen that's a little risky. So you need to increase your risk tolerance to make great things happen instead of, well, I need to punch in. I need to punch out. You want to tolerate mediocrity? That's fine. A mediocre sales career is still pretty good life. But I don't think you listen to podcasts like this to be mediocre. I think you come and you you improve yourself. You're looking for ways to get better because you want to do your very best work. And most of what you think you're looking for is actually setting you up for mediocrity. And that's what I want to challenge the listeners of this this podcast to think about. Well, it's interesting because you you bring up mediocrity again and you had talked about that earlier and I wanted to actually mm-hmm. circle back to it. I like wrote it down to circle back to it. You're welcome. Right? You're, <laughs> right? But this is what we're doing right here, right? The um, mediocrity is really like, I, I love a framework and we should have them. And, and I was just teaching this this week to a group of people like, I know you got the script and you've got your your discovery questions. Do not, and I did this to the group, I go, start shouting out your discovery questions to me. I want to hear what your discovery questions are. And they started shouting them out, right? And I'm like, okay, that's logistical next, logistical next, logistical next, logistical next. I'm like, all right, this is the problem. I know that you need the answers to these questions. You don't need the answers to these questions at the beginning of the relationship. Right. And this is where you're getting stuck. And you think you're being perfect and following the process and the playbook. And you need to flip the script, get off of the playbook and call it a book of play. This is why I do this whole mm. playful thing. Yep. That's why I've got I've got a, a downloadable book of play, which are improv exercises for sales for that purpose. It's like put the play back in the book. Yeah. Be the be oh. the curious child. <laughs> Shameless that's plug so for slam- oh, that's so good. Shameless plug for sell like a child book that I'm writing. I put the playback in. Be curious. Have an imagination. Want to know more because those personal and emotional outcomes have so much more power, in my opinion, over the measurable business outcomes. It mm-hmm. starts with the personal and the emotional. You'll get to the business and the metrics, but you got to start in the in the personal 
and the emotional and open them up. That's going to get you out of the mediocrity. And that's why I think I'm good personally in the discovery process. And going back to what you said about like Instagram versus LinkedIn, right? Mm -hmm. This is why you and I like, we have a lot of parallel and we're, we're kind of cut from the same cloth. Mm -hmm. I, I've got my Instagram, like whenever I speak, I'm like, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. And if you want to follow my personal life, go to Instagram. Mm -hmm. Because I want you to see my personal life on Instagram, yeah. right? Every time I post a picture of lasagna, you're like, where's the recipe? You still haven't given it to me. Yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm, I'm I stopped holding my breath a long time ago. <laughs> but that's right. Going back again, now kind of full circle, going back to the vulnerability, right? Yeah. You, we have to find ways to offer it up. I love, 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 love that the concept of you sending that video after working out says to me, you were thinking about me while you were working out. Mm -hmm. You know, I would encourage you to like, think about if next time trying that, because I think that's powerful. I'm like, he's sending me this video after he works out. Oh, I think yeah, that's, no, that's something I hadn't thought about. And actually had I thought about that, I probably wouldn't have thrown my, collared shirt back on. Right. Um, again, there's a balance there. And, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, when you free yourself up, you know, I remember this, I mean, it's been a long time now, but I remember when I started selling as if I had already hit my number for the month, even though I hadn't. Mm -hmm. Oh, mm -hmm. oh, you know, and I noticed something because I, I, I typically hit my number, right? But I, I recognized that I took a few more risks. I had a few, a little more fun. I uh, laughed a lot more in the last week of the month when I knew I was already home. And I was like, huh, why don't I just do this all time? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, and as soon as I did that, and you just, you talk about enabling your own best work. Yeah. It's, it's, it's there, but that fear is a killer, man. You, you've got to be, you have to be thoughtful. You don't want to do anything reckless, right? But, man, everybody is stiff out there. There's so much room for people to have fun selling. And I, I say this all the time. If you're not having fun, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. But, I mean, there's, there's room for a lot more fun than you think. And fun resonates. And, uh, you know. Oh, you, fun. Fun resonates and i think people undervalue this like mm -hmm. you know for a long time when i would hear people say to me oh my gosh this is and i hear it every single time now like like i this kickoff i just did they're like you were good last year you were amazing this year mm -hmm. your energy you're so fun um we learned from you um you're real you're fun like they kept bringing the fun they're like we want to book you right now for next year. Yeah. Right. People want to have fun. That goes mm -hmm. a long way. Do you want to work with someone fun or do you want to work with someone stiff? If, if fun, I mean, that per, you still have to produce results. You can't just be fun to be fun. But in right. the beginning, when I start in the beginning of doing this, um, when someone would say, so fun, I'm like, you, but you learned, right? You learned something, right? You learned something. <laughs> like I became like, so like, please do not call me fun. And then I'm like, no, no, I am fun. Let's let's grab on to that. And if you're a mm -hmm. company that doesn't believe in fun, 
and a happy culture, then I'm not a good fit. Right. And that's knowing who you are. That's going back to being vulnerable and being okay with who you are, right? There are some things I do really, really well. And I like to lean into those things. There are some things eh, I don't do so well. Uh, okay. You're getting me though, right? And mm -hmm. and it just, it sounds trite. It sounds played out. It sounds, you know, to say, well, just be comfortable with who you are and, you know, be yourself and all that. That That's the the essence of authenticity, right? But here's the thing. If you're trying to be authentic, you're not being authentic. In, and you have to be comfortable with yourself. And you got to recognize, look, if you try to please everybody, you will thrill nobody. So Ooh, your point- Say about, it again. Say that again for the back row. If you're trying to please everybody, you will thrill nobody. You're not here to please. You're here to thrill. And when you start thinking about it that way, it, it, it goes. I'm telling you, Gina, we were talking about this before. I got sound bites for days. I don't know if I create any context for them. I don't know if they mean anything, but it, well, you know, I know it's you fun. told, I told you, I know you told me because you, you and I both are now doing video reels and you're like, be in the moment, go back and listen. But I'm like, I wrote that one down because <laughs> that one's going to make a reel. I mean, it has to. That was cool. gold. Sorry. Thank you. Good sound um, bites. Uh, you know, every once in a while, you know, they, they say if you give a thousand monkeys a thousand typewriters, you'll eventually end up with the collective works of Shakespeare, right? So, <laughs> you know. Oh my gosh, is that what I need? I need some monkeys to finish writing the book. <laughs> I need a yes. few monkeys and a few typewriters and I'll be done. This well, was my this, just, <laughs> this was my segue now, for talking about books. Now you just need ChatGPT, apparently. Right. I know I have a client doing it. I've been following it and then I've got a coaching client who's using it. That's a whole nother we we could come back and do another episode I, on that. Double album. I think that's going to be a very interesting tool that is going to help a lot of salespeople and create yep. a bunch of opportunity for really good salespeople. Um yeah. I'm not afraid of it in the least. Yeah. It's, me either. It it it's um I don't think there's any reason to be afraid of it. I think there's all kinds of opportunity though. Yeah. But I, I retweeted this this morning and I hope that doesn't timestamp this. Well, nobody <laughs> follows me on Twitter anyway. But um I retweeted something and it was like, here, I've got a I've got something, a way to use Chat GPT that will save you so much time and increase your effectiveness. And it's go to Chat GPT, open up the website, then close your laptop and pick up the damn phone. That will <laughs> help your sales efforts right now. And uh, not exactly the same vibe as what I'm going with, <laughs> but uh, play around with it in the off, in your off times, yep. uh, you know, investigate what it can do for you. I've done just a little bit with it. Um, but it, in terms of generating ideas and places to start, particularly for cold messaging, it, it, it gives you some messaging that you can modify very well. Um, I don't know if it gives you great messaging because it's aggregating, it's, it's aggregating mediocrity is what it's doing. So, um, anyway, yeah, that's another episode for another time. And that's another great soundbite aggregating <laughs> mediocrity. I don't know. I'm some, that might be, that might work into the title of this episode. Uh, don't aggregate I, mediocrity. Or you, or yeah, I, I, you know, it's, I struggle with this because I like words with lots of syllables in them. I think they're fun. I think we've talked about this before. And I, I know you're supposed to talk at like a fourth grade level. And if you can't talk about what you're talking about at a fourth grade level, you probably don't understand it well enough to teach it. Right. So mm -hmm. there's, there's value to that. 
And it's not all ego, but you put together multiple syllables like aggregating mediocrity or championing mediocrity. And I'm like, oh man, that I just like that. I don't care if anybody knows it. I don't care if anybody understands it. I I like I'm entertaining myself at this point. I'm entertained by it. I'm like, that's a great title for the episode. People be <laughs> like, what? What is that? Aggregating yeah. mediocrity. There you go. It's not going to, it, it's, I promise those aren't keywords though. <laughs> so think twice about that. <laughs> Good point. Good point. Bring it back to reality. Um, <laughs> so talking about writing, um, mm-hmm. I know you're, you're in a process with Sell Like mm-hmm. You. I'm in a process of Sell Like a Child. Mm-hmm. Um, what's going on with your Sell Like You? That was a big was that question. A deep, was that a side deep enough for <laughs> the people in the back to hear it? <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, it's a concept that I've been working on now for, I mean, technically speaking, this is interesting. It was outbound 2021 where I was having a conversation outside my little table and um, walked into the back of the auditorium after a conversation. And I was like, is that a domain? I got it. And then I saw that it was available as a domain. I was like, I got to I got to get that. I don't know mm-hmm. what I'm doing with this yet, but this theme keeps coming up in my conversation. So I should grab this. And then I tried to use it and I used the hashtag a couple of times and uh, didn't really know what to do. It wasn't a complete, Thought. fully baked idea yeah. yet. Not even a half-baked idea. And then last summer and fall, when I was working with some coaches and some consultants, just on marketing in my business, trying to sharpen my own saw a little bit. And you know, I went, it turned into a bit of a professional identity crisis, right? It's like, I have great frameworks for prospecting, but I'm not the prospecting guy. And, and being a generalist in a specialist economy is not an easy thing to do. It's not something I recommend. Um, but I also didn't feel like I could arbitrarily just pick something I wanted to, to work on and then go after it because I love prospecting and I love re helping re people reframe the point of prospecting. And I do that differently than anybody else does, but Jeb's the prospecting guy. Jason Bay, one of my best friends in this business, is the prospecting guy. Like they, they both approach it from different ways. So I'm not gonna put myself. No, I'd rather just say no. You, if you need this, go to Jeb. If you need this, go to Jason. Yeah, like yeah. that's that's easy. And I'd rather I, I've had fun collaborating with those people on projects. Yeah. Um, but I love it, and it, I know I have valuable frameworks for it. The same thing with account uh, management, you know, territory management, the same thing with objection handling. Like I approach it differently, but nothing significantly enough that I can make a name for myself as that guy. Mm -hmm. So I had to think, and what it ultimately comes down to, and you and I have our collective upbringing roots, you know, to a certain extent with Jeffrey Gittimer and and what Jeffrey always talks about is the power of belief. Mm -hmm. And nothing has been more powerful in my career than, than believing in what I can do and when I'm not believing in what I can do, that's when I get tripped up. Mm-hmm. But to me, it always felt really squishy. It always felt like, oh, man, is that concrete enough? Is that, you know, it's almost like authenticity. Like, ugh. Uh, it's, Just, almost, it's almost like improv. Uh, yeah. Improv is squishy. And I struggled for years with it. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's valuable. And that's what mm-hmm. my, the coach I was working with, he's like, Jeff, squishy or not, is it true? Ooh. Oh, Yeah. It is. He's like, would you go with it then? What else you got? He's like, this is true. And not only is it true, but it's your truth. You yeah, can speak yeah. to it at a level that no one else can. And then I said, you know, the toying around with I said, this idea called sell like you. And he's like, are you kidding me? You've been sleeping on this stuff for months. <laughs> like, 
Yeah. So I, I finally got the urge to kind of develop it. And you saw the genesis of it mm-hmm. at Outbound last year. And it's come a long way since then. And, um, you know, I sat down with my wife and, you know, talk about having an awesome partner. I mean, she's someone who has kind of watched me, overheard me from a distance. And she sat down one time and, and I was just frustrated. And, and she's like, this is what I see you doing and, and this and this, and you do this for people and you do this for people. And I'm like, hold on. I literally left the room, came back with a pen and a pad of paper and wrote like a page and a half of notes. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is the book. This is a book that I can, this is not only is this my story, but this is what people need to hear. And so in the months since then, it's like, all right, how do I, how do I organize this in a way that encompasses some of the frameworks that I'm teaching people, but also the premise of which is like, you never sell better than what you sell like you. And when you start paying attention to that voice in the back of your head, when you start paying attention to that feeling in your belly, when you recognize that you know what needs to be done, but you're afraid to do it because everybody else is doing something else because you don't see that out there, Mm -hmm. that is not your signal to turn and run and do what everybody else is doing. That is your signal to lean into what only you can do. And that's really, really important. And you know what was actually a big key and validating that for me when I thought it was squishy. I remember talking to Jeb at Outbound and he said, man, we love, I, this is what I need from people like you who contribute to this show. Like, I don't need another thing on objection handling. I don't care if you do objections differently than me. I already wrote the book on objection handling and it's really hard to, hard to argue with that. But he's like, Jeff, I asked you to participate because I like what you do and I want you to do more of what only you can do. Oh, all right. Well, if Jeb gets it too, then maybe it isn't so squishy, mm-hmm. right? Because I I, th- I think of Jeb very very um you know honorably as someone who like man does he get what people need and he puts it in a concrete yeah. framework yeah. where it's like use this and you'll get results. Belief feels squishier than that. But even even Jeb, the king of concrete frameworks, is like oh yeah, you got to have that, and oh yeah, you got to be you. So when you pay attention to those things, it's like huh. All right. I got to trust this. I got to lean into it. And what was beautiful about it, and I, I know you're, you're. I'll, I'll give you a minute to, <laughs> to come in here edgewise. <laughs> but it's, it's like during these few months where I was really just in my head and trying to figure this thing out, I recognized that I was in the spot again in my professional career where I needed to lean in and trust myself. Mm-hmm. And that's what everybody fights. That resistance is what people fight, and. If you're lucky, you'll fight it more than once in your career because it means that you're leveling up. And so to be able to take a step back, realize that this struggle was so important and vital for perspective in my journey and that I'm not alone in this, like these are the very people to try to reach. And if I could be vulnerable enough to be willing to talk about it, if I could be authentic enough to share without oversharing, but show people that, hey, just because we're up here talking and we know some stuff and we think about things differently than maybe you do sitting, watching me on stage mm-hmm. instead of being yeah. up on stage. Doesn't mean we're not messing with something. Doesn't mean we're not wrestling with some concepts. Doesn't mean that there isn't another thing to overcome at some point. And you want to relish those opportunities instead of being afraid of them. Um, I'll stop talking now to your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> and yes, I will let you come back. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, 
the the lean in and trust yourself. I think mm-hmm. you know I love this concept of sell like you, and and to to trust yourself because I think you hit some really relevant points. We see this over and over again, right? Like for those of us who are out there on stage in front of people delivering, and the people in the audience are like, I've, I'm sure this has happened to you. Like I will show vulnerability or an imperfection, and I've heard this several times. Like oh, I thought you were perfect. Oh my, you make mistakes too. I'm like, I'm like a mistake machine. Yeah. Um, but so many of us have imposter syndrome. I was even mm-hmm. talking about that. And you and I have talked about this before. I was talking with other speakers at, at Outbound in 2022, the last Outbound, who they too, as powerful and strong as they are and, and the presence that they have. Um, and several of them were on the um, Women Your Mother Warned You About live podcast, live stream. Right? They all have, we all have imposter syndrome. You're not alone. We all doubt ourselves. We're all fearful. But you have to lean into that and then find your lane. This is my lane. Like you and I have squishy lanes, but it takes mm-hmm. a really long time to go, you know, what squishy is good? People want squishy and people do want frameworks. And what makes Jeb so brilliant is that you know, he's kind of savantish. He he can see the value in what people bring to the table. That's why there's so many people on Sales Gravy University platform that yep. that contribute content, right? You could you could think of them as as competitors, or you can think of them as this is Jeb's brilliance to bring people around to the table that don't do what he does so yep. that you have a comprehensive education. Well, it's easy to not recognize that actually. Like yeah. it's, it's easy to not, um, uh, to not pick up on that, you know, and there's so many right ways to do this. There's so many right ways to sell. Um, there are more right ways to sell than wrong ways to sell. I actually believe, mm-hmm. um, and, and, but most salespeople will take the tack of, I'm just afraid to screw it up. I'm like, wow. Screw it up. Of, screw yeah, well, it up. Well, screw it up. But I mean, the thing is, and, and I remember working with clients and I was doing, I had a, a really nice uh, agreement and and really gig with a, a company where I was taking these professional service providers who were afraid to sell, but they were business owners. So they really needed to do some business mm-hmm. development. And the, through the course of a six month program, I'd ask them all to raise their hands at the very first session who's afraid to screw it up and everybody would raise their hands. And at the end of the six month mm. session, I'm like, okay, I've given you a different perspective for how to look at this. Who's afraid to screw it up now? Nobody. Because when you redefine what selling is, when you redefine your approach, when you recognize that if you're curious, that if you just ask good questions, if you're looking for opportunities to share your own brilliance and you find those opportunities, you can't screw it up. And if you're in a, if, if you're, the way you screw it up is when you try to apply your own brilliance to places that it doesn't belong. So Uh, if you, hmm. it's really better about weeding those opportunities out and finding the right spots for yourself. It's, I don't know, different perspectives, Gina. It's and and so it's, it's important to recognize that your own way of doing it, and you don't have to reinvent the wheel. I mean, and it's more than it's no. more than just using your own words, and it's way less than creating your own way to 
go rogue, you know, and, and find some way unique way to, you know, method of selling, right? The process is the process. That's the framework. That's the science of selling. Your methodology is the art of selling. The way you go about accomplishing mm -hmm. the end of the process is your art. That's the way you can do it. And I don't care how you do it as long as you feel it's the best way yeah. for you. Yeah. And as long as you're getting the result, it's the beauty of what we do. I mean, it's, yeah. I don't know. We could, we could seriously do um, a double album here, Gina. I don't know if, uh, I don't know how much longer you have uh, to <laughs> to get into this, but we could talk for, for days. Well, I, uh, I have to get onto a, a discovery call, but we can schedule another. What do you, what do you think? We could schedule another I, episode. That is a hard close. Twist my arm. Because part of what I'm doing this year is bringing back my favorite guests and mm. rotating them in the shows because I want to have people on this show that we can really get into these conversations where we're like, we could keep talking and talking and talking and doing a double album, or you can come back for another album. Okay. What do you think I of like that? that? I like no. that. I think uh, I would be happy to do that. I'm trying to think of how to carry out that analogy anymore. And I just don't know how, because everything's <laughs> streaming anyway. Nobody buys CDs. Nobody buys, people are more, people yeah, are exactly. buying more vinyl albums yeah. than CDs anymore. Yeah, for but, those yeah. of you who don't know what a double album is, please go Google it. Um, <laughs> See Kiss Alive. <laughs> we're showing, we're showing yeah. our age. Um, yeah, I. what I'd like to do is is come back and continue this conversation on yeah. sell like you and sell like a child because I know these are things you and I are both working on simultaneously and yep. um you and I both know that talking about these things help us also flesh it out and then it'll be interesting to see if we get feedback from this episode of of what people have to say about it these two concepts you mean you mean people are going to listen to this I thought this was just for us Oh yeah, I forgot to tell you. This is going to go worldwide distribution. This is going out to the millions who listen to this show. So yeah, That's awesome. yeah. That's awesome. Um, it was so awesome having you back, and I can't wait for you to be back. And I just noticed the um, is that Grogu or Yoda behind you? Uh, well, actually, it's both. It's both. It's okay. both. I have a Yoda that you can see right now, and if I'm if I lean to the right. Oh, microphone's uh -huh. covering them up. Oh, there he is. there's my Grogu. Yeah, they're both Lego. Those are Lego pandemic projects. So. Oh, fantastic. I became a nerd when I got married because my husband's a nerd. So now, like, he would only marry me if I watched every Star Wars related thing out there. Uh, there's a lot of that. There, mm, Yeah, there's a lot. <laughs> there is a lot. And I've, I still am not totally keeping, I can't figure it all out, but. I know enough. Um, awesome. Thank you for being you. here. And this is great. Um, yeah, as always, thank you, listeners. Thank you, Warners, for listening to this episode of Women Your Mother Warns You About, brought to you by Sales Gravy with my good friend, Jeff Bajork. Jeff, where can people reach out and connect with you if they don't already know who you are? jeffbajork.com is my website. Um, the best place to interact with my content actually is at rethinkthewayyousell.com and you can get there from my website. Um, but the podcast, the Rethink the Way You Sell podcast is there in a course format so you can approach every episode like a lesson and some of my other stuff. So that's that's the best place. Or uh, like you said, you can connect with me on LinkedIn or follow me on Instagram if you want to see the rest of the story. Awesome. And Jeff will be back. So mm -hmm. if you want to hear anytime. more... If you want to hear more from the two of us together, 
drop us some comments, tell us what's going on. And by the way, these episodes will be going on to YouTube so you can watch us and you can see Yoda and Grogu in the background <laughs> if you care. All right, we're out of here. Thank you, listeners. Check us out at womenyourmotherwarnsyouabout.com or salesgravy.com where you will find everything you need to know about Sales Gravy University and the show. We're out of here. Bye, Jeff. Bye.